It's been a few weeks since I've been in this exact role right here. And uh, did you miss that? No. It was good. It was good. I had to fill in the answer for you because it was so great to have Pastor Kenzie uh, preach just a few weeks ago. And then uh, we had our district superintendent come in for the installation service. I had no idea what that was or no. It was really good. It was harder in the 11 a.m. service to be like, yeah, I have no idea what this is, even though it had just happened. And so anyway, and then uh, last week, it was uh, really awesome to have my first professor and advisor from when it was called Bethany Bible College, Mike McNeil. Wasn't that awesome? That was a message that I definitely needed to hear. And so it's, it's been a, a different three weeks or so. And the next three weeks, we're in this new series called The Father's Heart. We're going to look at that story, really all of Luke chapter 15 is, is kind of pertaining to this story. And so we're going to look into that, starting with the younger brother. And sometimes people consider the story to be complete when the younger brother, uh, when the end of that story kind of happens uh, before you hear about the elder. We will take time on him. Uh, there's a lot to be said about him as well. It completes the full chapter, the full kind of story. And so we'll look at that in a couple weeks. And next week, it's kind of nice right in the middle of things for Father's Day to be looking at the Father himself, not just from this story, but overall his heart, his will for us, and uh, the redeeming nature just setting up the gospel. It's important to note that this story that we're going to look into, it's not the complete story of the gospel. Sometimes people get frustrated when there's something really short and bite-sized. Well, but you're forgetting about this, and what about saying that? No, it's, it's, it's good. Like, we're, we're going to cover that too, but there's so much to learn from this story, and that's what we're going to look into today. And so for all three weeks, we're going to start with the first two verses of the chapter. And so this is uh, really setting up the most, uh, one of the most famous parables that Jesus taught from. And so the first two verses really are, need to be in the back of our mind for the rest of, of the month. And, and this is how it starts. It says that tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So this is the context, the reason for the next two mini-stories and the reason for the overarching. And so why I say to, to wait to hear a little more about the elder brother in a couple weeks is because chapter, or sorry, verse 25 on to the end of the chapter uh, completes the story. If verse 1 is really about the younger brother of the story, then verse 2 is definitely about the elder brother. If verse 1 is about these people who, who actually want to come to Jesus to hear him teach, well, the, the teachers and, and the Pharisees, these teachers of religious law, they're the complainers. You're going to see in the story that the younger brother is a persuader and that the elder brother is a complainer. And so Jesus is, is, uh, is telling this story on purpose, with a purpose. Uh, we're, we're going to talk about them, but I want to skip down to the main part of the story, starting in verse 11. And so he's illustrating a point of, of things being lost and then found, starting with there's a hundred sheep, but one goes missing. You know that part? And then uh, the next story is that there's ten coins, but one goes missing. And so it comes down, and now there's a man with two sons. And so it's easy to call this story the parable of the prodigal son, but that's incomplete because there's actually two sons. There's a man with two sons. And so to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. 
a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the, the, the pigs. The, this young man became so hungry, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost. But now he is found, so the party began. Not the end of the story, but we'll come back to that other part in a little while. Do you ever find sometimes we want more because we don't fully realize what we have? That's never really happened to anyone in this room, but like maybe we could realize on behalf of someone else that's not here that sometimes that happens. Sometimes we don't really know what we have, and so we go searching for, for something else. The other interesting thing here is that, and, and we'll talk a little bit about those first two mini-stories because there's so much value in them, but the other thing is that this is the first story where there's self-talk. Do you know what I mean? So the sheep can't really tell, tell himself, you know what, I, I have strayed. I have, you know, I, I know everyone else is back there, but like I should really go find the shepherd. You know, no, the, the shepherd has to do all the self-talk and go and get the sheep. And then, you know, the coin you know, what, what's it going to do? You know, someone worked a day, uh, a day, it, I'm a day's wage. You know, I really should like make sure these papers aren't covering me or wherever it was. You know, the, the, the coin can't really do that. But in this case, a son can be like, you know what, back home, right? And he can start thinking about what he had. And so this is the thing about this, this son. He ran away. Has anyone ever run away from home before? Well, this guy here, he, he ran away from home. And then you hear in the story that he ran out of money, and then he ran into famine. At least two-thirds of that are on him. The last part is just that he wasn't really prepared. But sometimes we learn things the hard way through failure. And that hurts a little bit. Isn't it better to have learned things from maybe your older brother or something like that? But in this case, no, he had to go and figure it out for himself. So the reason sometimes people call this uh, the, the prodigal, the prodigal son, 
is that, and some people define it as that prodigal means recklessly extravagant. So he, he went and spent all his wealth on wild living. And then the other half of it is having spent everything. And so uh, an author and preacher named Timothy Keller, you've probably heard as Pastor Tim in the last year has, has preached on something similar. He says that, no, what, what if God is the prodigal? What if he's the one who is recklessly extravagant in, in getting us back? What if he's the one that has actually spent everything? He's the one that divided his wealth between the sons, and, and, and he says later on to the elder son that everything I have is yours. What if God's actually the prodigal? Or what if they both are, because the elder son really wants his father to know, like, look, this son of yours, he squandered everything. And so this is what we're looking at. And you probably have, have read it before. There's a proverb, 19.4, that says, Wealth makes many friends. Poverty drives them away. And so imagine the wild living of this young man who he's off in some distant country and he's spending all his money and probably picking up the tab for his friends, his so-called friends. But all of a sudden, when his money ran out and he ran into famine... There's nothing left for him. Everyone's gone away. He actually had to persuade this local farmer to take him on so he could feed pigs. And remember, the listeners of, of this, they would have thought that was pretty low working for lowly Gentiles, right? And so here he is, much lower than his previous circumstances because we want more. We don't really realize what we have until maybe something like that is gone. Have you ever been lost and would you ever admit it? You, you know, you remember probably the days where you'd go on vacation or you'd go away to some place you'd never been, and perhaps you'd get out one of those big maps, maybe the foldable ones. Those were my favorite because sometimes you had to actually get out of the vehicle and set it on, on the hood. Have you ever been there? I heard stories anyway. And then how many were really glad when the GPS came out? Uh, who, who leaves the de default voice on, on those? You, you probably switch it to, to some accent, right? Yeah, maybe. Um, there's just lots of options. But, you know, the problem when those first came out is that you had to upgrade them. You had to, like, update them or something like that. And so it's like, who? no one gave me a heads up on this construction for the next three hours on this highway. You know, uh, you know how do I reroute? And then eventually they came to the smartphones and they got progressively better, and at least you didn't have to buy a separate thing, and you could kind of update. But, but even then, if you've ever been to a really big city where there's like overpasses and underpasses and there's tunnels, you're like, where am I? If you take a wrong turn, it's like, how do you, how do you get turned around? And so uh, one of the points of, of this kind of story is that if you're going in the wrong direction, turn around. You can, you can do that. And, and knowing you're lost is only half the battle, right? Because that's not enough to, to just get you back to where you, you need to be. And it's actually okay to ask for directions. Is, is, is that touch? Am I preaching when I say that? It's okay to ask for directions. Uh, but but here, here's the thing. And, and actually earlier this week, I, I, was, I was just kind of telling how uh, this guy told me this, this joke. He's, he's from Ireland. And I, I think I, I have a right to say it because I'm at least half Irish. And so anyway, forgive me if this offends you, it's, it's not an offensive joke, just heads up. Um, but the, the joke is kind of like this guy, he's, he's looking for directions, he's not a local. But he goes up to a local and he's like, uh, excuse me, um, uh, how do I get to Dublin? But the response is, well, I wouldn't start from here. And that's, that's the joke, I know, it's not, it's not that great. But the reason I like it is because it's, it's just not helpful. Well, I wouldn't start from here. I mean, if you were trying to give someone directions to Pontiac, 
Like, well, well, you, well, I wouldn't start from the church. I would start from the bridge. Yeah, yeah you're, you're already there. Like, you know, Penny, I, anyway, it doesn't make much sense. But, but the thing is, is that you're, you're perhaps less lost when you have maps. But usually maps, you have to at least know where you're at to know where you're going. And it doesn't help if someone says, well, I wouldn't start here. Well, how do you get back home? Well, I wouldn't have went off to a distant country. And so, you know what I mean? It's, it's kind of putting salt on the wound a little bit if, if someone were to say that. But thankfully, and we believe as we were just singing, you know, I, I know this series is about the Father's heart, but obviously we're going to look into the Son's activity in this, as in Jesus, and we're looking into the way the Holy Spirit moves here, and, and, and perhaps the Holy Spirit is the one to help this young man come to his senses and return home. And so he's at least less lost, but he's not home yet when he decides, you know, back home, and that's, that's kind of the, the point. And so one of the overarching thoughts that I want us to consider when we're moving forward is that you can't outrun the Father's grace. The Father ran to him as we read in the story and the Father has grace to spare. He has enough. He, he actually, he divided all his wealth but, but he still has more. There's still more and it's worth it to him uh, to, to, to kind of look bad that his, his sons would, would divide him like this and that's okay and that the Father is filled with love and compassion. And the other point that I think it's, it's worthy of, of noting is when we're looking at this story and, and what happens, he, he, he's actually feeding uh, the pigs. And so imagine he's saying that even the pods, whatever they are, right, it, it's like lower than dog food probably. And he's, he's feeding these pigs and even that looked good to him. Remember, not the pigs themselves. That would be maybe too offensive to, to the Pharisees and teachers of religious law. But, but they're saying like even, even the pig feed uh, looked good. And so imagine he's, he's got no money. He's starving. He, he perhaps is, is barefoot at this point. All, all those things. He's, he's in rough shape. But the, the point is he, he comes home. He comes back to the Father. And you don't have to clean up before you come home. That's a really important thought is that he didn't have to go and get his own robe and, and get his own ring and get his own scent. He didn't have to do any of that. First of all, he didn't have the means to do that, but he did have the means to, to straighten out and to come home. And so imagine when he returns and the father sees him a long way off. Well, he probably smelled him a long way off too, right? Because the son now smells like a pig, but the father embraces him anyway. He smells like this unclean animal to the, to the listeners of the story, yet he, he's sharing how he embraces him. The son's probably in rags, like his, his clothing's probably not smelling its best. It's probably not looking its best either, but the father calls for the finest robe, and, and the commentators would say that uh, not, it's not just that it's the finest, like the nicest robe, it's that it's probably uh, the father's own robe, and so he's giving him his very best, putting it over him. And the son considered him unworthy of even being called son, but the father wanted to put this ring on his finger. And to us, that might sound kind of strange, but to the listeners, that would have been kind of the family's uh, signet. It really would have said, like, no, you're, you're part, you were part of the family, you're still part of the family. And so that would have been a signal to anyone else that he's wearing this. The son, he was possibly, we don't know for sure, Possibly even barefooted as he's returning home. Who knows? Uh, but, but the father requested these sandals for his feet, which also kind of elevated him just that little bit off the ground and, and showed that he had means. 
You know, Martin Luther, uh, he's long gone now, but he, he said essentially that even after we're converted by the gospel, your heart will go back to operating on other principles unless you deliberately and repeatedly set it to gospel mode. And the thing about that is that the sun comes back, but the problem in the first place, and we'll see this more in week three, is that there's something kind of off in the thinking of both brothers, uh, both of them have, have some sort of issue, issue here with understanding status and position. So I was trying to get some of the staff to help me with this this week. I'm, I'm not going to draw a diagram or anything like this because I know you're smart enough to picture it. But think about this. When we start the story, the man has two sons. And the son, he wants to go off. And so he is a son, right? And so imagine that he's considering his status here. And the father also has hired servants, but maybe he considers at least him. I'm not trying to imply that they are. But to the son, the hired servants are below a son. But he wants to go off to this wild, to, to this distant land and, and do this wild living and stuff like that. But he gets to the point when his money runs out that, okay, you went from son, and then there, and now he becomes a hired servant. And then even the pigs are eating better than him, and he, he wants their food, and no one's going to give him a thing. Now, people say they, they probably did have some sort of ration for their workers, of course. But the point here is that he, he's not able to just take that. But, but also, if they actually didn't feed him, if they were that kind of cruel, that he probably would have had to steal. So not only has he, has he you know, made his father look bad, not only has he wasted all this wealth, but now he's even stealing. And so there's an implied thought here that now he's, he's lower than this unclean animal that the listener would say, like, really? Is this really true? What would this be like? And so he went from son to hired servant to below a pig. Now his thoughts are, I remember what it was like back home, the hired servant. So he doesn't go all the way back up to son. Do you follow that he actually wants to go back and pay his father back? He wants to just break even, but not by being a son, not by being taken back as, as the father's younger son, but to be a hired servant. So there's already something kind of messed up in his mind, and that's what I want us to kind of wrestle with the next few weeks, is that perhaps we've already returned, but we don't actually realize what we have with the Father. And so he's thinking about this, and so think about it. Take me on as a hired kind of servant is way different than take me back as a son. And so the big point here is that you can't earn your way back. There is a cost, but grace cannot be bought. His father didn't take on a hired servant. The father took back his son. That is the point here. And so there's this kind of father versus farmer or farmer versus father thought in his head. And I think that's something that we need to wrestle with. We certainly do with the elder son in a few weeks. But for right now, it's that he, he actually thought of him, his father as a local kind of farmer and that he was really acting like a hired servant. But he did want the rights of a son to get the inheritance. And in that day, it wasn't actually uh, split half and half. It was divided, but the older son had uh, the, the kind of first dibs. He got with like two thirds and, and the younger son got a third. So it wouldn't have even lasted that long, but he, he was certain that he needed that. So even though he thought of himself as a hired servant, he, he actually kind of elevated himself for his own purposes to get this wealth. And something that, it, it was abnormal, but, but not out of the question, but it definitely was something that the people listening, when they heard that, they would have been like, ooh, like you don't do that to your father. Like that's, that's disrespectful at, at the very least. And so he thought of himself as a hired servant instead of a son. And that brings us to another thought on not just status and position, but being versus doing. 
And this is where I personally struggle. I, I, I won't speak for anyone else, but uh, the, the fact that like, by, by doing something, you find your value and you find your worth or not. By doing things, you also see how unworthy you are. Instead of just realizing that by being, by being a son, you have certain rights, and there are certain expectations. We're not going to skip that. But here, he might have been thinking that it was kind of like being bad to good, as in he definitely thought like, okay, I'm bad, I'm not good like I should be, and so I need to kind of raise back up there at least to the hired servant. But what the father is trying to get a point across to everyone is that no, 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 his son was dead, still his son, but dead, unfortunately, but now, all the way over here, his son is alive. That is the difference. It's not actually bad to good in this kind of a, a tiered kind of thought. It's actually from dead to alive. And so this is what the father is trying to get across is how he's restored. The situation was far worse than just squandering money. And the elder brother is trying to say, this son of yours, he's not even calling him his brother, and we'll, we'll hear more about that, but that he's trying to say, he squandered everything, all your money, he squandered it. But the father is trying to get the point across like, yeah, it was worse than that. It was that he was dead. He's my son and he was dead, but now he is alive. And so we see this kind of back and forth throughout the entire story is that he went from strayed to returned. He actually went from dead to alive. He went from being lost to found, and he went from famine to feast. And something had to happen in the middle. It wasn't enough to just realize where he was and know where he needed to go. He had to get there. And, you know, you realize here, too, that he actually went from feeding pigs to feasting on the fattened calf. And so, you know, we really want a feast to be a part of the theme uh, this, this next three weeks in this series. And so we'll feast for Father's Day. I think that's okay. I think we'll do that. But not only that. But we're having imagery of a future feast, but we're also going to uh, take part in the Lord's Supper on the last week as, as it kind of caps off a reminder of our return and what Jesus has done for us. And so it's just this small taste of this future feast. I'm really looking forward to that. So he also went from being empty to filled. And so if you think about it, he's thinking to himself, again, the self-talk that, that is, is different than the, the sheep in this context, different than the coin. They can't think about this stuff. But he's thinking, like, even my father's hired servants had food enough to spare. And so part of the point here, as we see the entire context of chapter 15, is that not only did the father have food to spare, but he had grace to spare. And so I want to take us to uh, Ephesians 2 for a moment. It won't be on the screen. This is a short passage that we, we've read recently. Uh, I, I think it's one of those ones that's, that's worth reading over and over. It's talking about Paul's writing to the, to the readers, the listeners, that you know we were once dead because of our disobedience and our many sins, and we used to live one way. But then he gets down to verse 4 in chapter 2 where he says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead. 
And so in this story, you don't really hear yet the full context. Jesus isn't putting himself in per se. I'm going to show you how he's implying it in different ways. Uh, But we go on here. So we receive life, and then he says that it's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future generations, uh, ages, to, as examples of this incredible wealth of his grace. That's the point. The wealth of his grace and kindness towards us is shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. What a great reminder that it's by his grace alone that he takes us from, from dead and then he brings us back to life through Jesus. And so really what's going on here as we finish um, this part of the story in chapter 15 is, so the party began. Well, why? Because the son is restored. He's restored to life. Not just that he's restored to his family. And not just that he's restored to the community What a lot of people write on this is that that fattened calf that they've been waiting, they might not have a deadline of, okay, it's going to be this feast at this time, but they wait for something worthy of celebration. And so he's getting fatter and fatter, and they're like, this is going to be good. And so this wasn't something that they would have had every week or something like that. This was was not, not a delicacy, but it was something special, and it was something that probably they invited everyone around. If, if it was a village, they would have probably invited many people. And they didn't eat as much. We we, you know, have supersized things in our generation, and, uh, and now we're trying to cut back. Well, they, they probably wouldn't have, have done it that way. There would have been enough for a whole community. And so they're, they're trying to show this son of mine is back. He was dead. Now he's alive. He was lost. Now he's found. So we must celebrate. And so the party began. And so that whole thought, this feast commemorates the restoration of the son to the father, and the father celebrates because his son is home. And the father, Ken Hur says, the father who gives us freedom to choose to leave, as he did, that was kind of unique that he let the, the son actually leave, he graciously gives us the freedom to choose to return. Isn't it so good? The, the son didn't stay lost. He came to his senses. But it wasn't enough for that. The father actually had to receive him back. And so the point is that the father wants to with open arms, with an embrace, with a kiss. Even if you don't like that, he wants that for you. Even if you smell worse than a pig, he is willing to accept us back. And so we must celebrate. And so the point isn't just for us to hear it from our point of view as though one of us is a younger son or daughter, but that when there's another younger son or daughter that's away, How do we help them? How do we help bring restoration? And then how do we celebrate when they are found? And so the point of those first two stories, you know, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, well, he wants to. He's trying to prove a point. If this was you, if you, Pharisee and and teacher of religious law, if you were the shepherd, would you not go after this sheep? And yeah, yeah, I guess I would. What I love about it, and I know we, we, we think of the Lord as my shepherd, and we think of his, his rod and his staff. But here there's not mention of his rod and staff. There's a mention of him picking up the sheep and putting it on his shoulder and carrying it back. It wasn't, how could you run away? How could you stray from the rest? It's like, I'm so glad I've got you back. I'm taking you back to the other 99. You're restored, right? And then this coin, it wasn't like, how could you go missing? How could you roll under whatever? You know, No, no, no. The, the woman in that story, she actually she lights a lamp. 
And she searches until she finds it. She sweeps and everything, and then she calls her friends. Isn't this funny? But imagine if, if, if you got paid for, for one full day of, of labor or something, and then that check just blew uh, out of your hand and down the road. You'd probably be like, nah, it's fine. No, 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 you worked hard for that. You want that back, right? And so it doesn't really matter the value. But the son, he's going from, from the this, this sheep to, to a coin, which is still worthy, but then he's trying to show, then this man had two sons. This son is worth far more than a sheep or a coin. And so that's why we must celebrate, is that they were lost and now found. And so they're saying that there's, there's joy when one sinner repents and returns or when a son returns to life. It was more than just being found. It was that he came back to life. And so there's this imagery of, of resurrection in this life and then in the life to come. So what I really want us to capture here, the tension of it is that apart from the father, we're dead and lost. Apart from him, maybe you have imagery of, of the vine. You are the vine you know, uh, Jesus really is, is telling us that in another chapter 15, in, in John chapter 15. Apart from the Father, we're dead and we're lost, but the Father has grace to spare and that there's no sin bigger than his grace. That's what's awesome is that really he still has it, even though in this story it's talking about him dividing his wealth. Well, he still must have his property. He still must have enough and still fields and still whatever, however that worked. He still has also grace to spare. The Father's heart, his, his real heart for us is to pardon and to restore and so the point is for us to return home. If we're that person that has strayed even a little bit, maybe not to a distant land, but maybe in our heart and our mind we've strayed, is to return home. But we know, we know this intuitively, that home isn't really a place, but it's a relationship to the Father. That's kind of the point here. He's thinking about it, and he doesn't have everything straight yet. He's still thinking it would just be good enough to be a hired, hired servant, but, but really the Father wants to return him to this. Many authors have talked about the Bible being this overarching story of people like us, exiles, just trying to get home. And so that's the point of this story, too, is that there, there's a much bigger home to get to with the Father. And so the, the band will come back to lead us in a song, but as, as we're closing, the real point that we're going to see throughout the, the, the series, and, and especially week three, is that there is an elder brother. But the elder brother I wanted to talk about for a moment is Jesus. He's actually the way the elder brother should have been. And so if we can think for a moment, what, what we know is true is that they actually put a purple robe on Jesus. Now they were mocking him in that and they were kind of fake worshiping him as being the king. They didn't really mean it. But then they stripped him. They, they actually gambled for his clothes as was prophesied. Instead of a kiss, they actually spat on him. Instead of an embrace, they actually slapped him and beat him and they mocked him. And instead of a, a ring for his finger, they pierced his hands with nails. And they wove a thorn branch and branches and, and, and really made it into a crown of thorns, placed it on his head. And instead of sandals, they actually pounded nails through his feet. Instead of leading him into a feast, you know, that they led him away to be crucified. And if it wasn't worse, instead of feeling the Father's embrace, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And so this son actually had to feel that separation from the Father to restore us, to bring us home. 
And so this story is, is not just a caption, but it's, it's really to show us so that when, when everyone would see the gospel unfold in the coming days after this story is that they would actually understand that, no, the, the father had this one and only son that he was willing to be extravagant with, that he was willing to spend everything on our behalf to get us home. And so that Jesus, he took our place to offer the cover that we needed for our sins and to provide the clean clothes. And so one of the points people feel like, wow, the father, he's, he's too gracious to give this, this young man who, who stinks to give him a robe and all these things. Well, the point of it is he can come home without being cleaned up, but there is a dress code for the feast. And so there's a transformation that happens because he's come home because the father received him, and then the feast is what he needs to be cleaned up for. And so there is, it isn't just enough to just get in, it's that Jesus has us covered. And so that, that's really the point, the father's heart, is that he is willing to spend everything, even his only son, to get us back. But wouldn't it be great that also the Holy Spirit is, is working on us to help us come to our senses so that we can return home to a father that's willing to see us a long way off. He's willing to run to us. He's willing to embrace us even when we stink. We don't have to clean up to come home. Isn't that good news? The son is restored. We can be restored to the father. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this message and this glimpse into understanding your kingdom, understanding your gospel, the good news, news that is for us to receive and really to understand your heart. And so we pray you'd continue to illuminate that in the coming weeks, even, even in the coming moments as we're about to sing. And, and Father, I, I just think of, of any, even, even that we know beyond this room that maybe seem to be in that distant land, would you... Would your Holy Spirit bring, bring conviction? Would you bring guidance to return them? Would you use us as, as older brothers as well to, to actually be ones to go after and, and give people a map to come back? Would you help people to return? And even now, if someone feels even in their own mind that they are needing to, um, to change, would you um, bring that guidance? Would you help them? And just to see that, it's, it's not enough to just come back and, and, and pay for um, the wrongdoing, but Jesus, you've actually paid for that. There's nothing we can do to actually earn it. It's something that we can receive when we come home to the Father. And so would you help us to know that? Would you help us to be reminded of that coming back? Would you set our hearts to gospel mode so we don't think of ourselves as less than son and daughters of, of the King? We know that if we believe in you, Jesus, if we receive you and, and your message that, that you actually give us permission, you, you make it right for us to become children of God, that we can be called sons and daughters. Don't, don't let us think about being any less than that in, in your house. And so help us, uh, Lord Jesus, to understand this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.